Fine Music Radio. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, an enchanting operatic production of Cinderella will come to life in the upcoming winter school holidays now in a spectacular family-friendly production at the Artscape Opera House from the 4th to the 8th of July. It's presented by Cape Town Opera in association with AM Productions, the South African premiere of this brand-new adaptation of Pauline Vado's chamber opera, Cendrillon, will be directed by Fred Arbrimser and features a cast of world-class singers accompanied by a chamber orchestra with fantastical costumes and grand staging that will transport audiences of all ages to a truly fairy tale world. And by the sounds of things, it's going to appeal to adults and children. Well, Fred Abram says here, the director, and Fred, this does, as I say, sound like enchanting and magic, and you've apparently gone out of your way to make it so. Um, it's been a fantastic experience thus far. I think um, the problem with opera is, I mean, uh, people are scared of opera. And they want to run away from it. <laughs> yes, you say the word <laughs> opera, and sometimes people. And yeah, disappear. I mean, we have uh, obviously over the years, Marcel and I have built up uh, a following of people. And a gentleman and his wife asked me, um, so they'd come to see a production that we'd just done, and they said, "So what's next?" So I said, "Well, we're doing Cinderella, the opera." And they went, "Oh, oh, no, no." So I said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, it's work." which means it's like way out of my realm. Yeah, yeah. So that is a general reaction that one has to opera, and also generally because they are in French and Italian, and people are scared of them. So I think it's very important if you look at what we are doing as a company with the Shakespeare's and the set workbooks that we've done over the last 10, 15 years, is bringing young people to the theatre We've achieved that in doing children's theatre with a big corporation like Canal Walk and bringing over 300,000 young people over the last 23 years. Because those are incredibly well attended, aren't they? Yes, and and I had a a 14-year-old lad come up to me and saying, oh, you Mr. Abramson? I said, yes. He said, I had my first theatre experience 10 years ago when I was four years old watching one of your shows. I think where the ballet moved with Marcel moving into playing Scrooge and then um, Drosselmeyer in Nutcracker and again Debbie Turner broke box office records with Nutcracker. It's bringing new audiences. And what Machtali and Minna from Cape Town Opera has then done has approached us and say, how do we do the same with opera? We don't want to modernize it and you know, kind of set it in a, a futuristic... Yeah, uh, I'm so future. glad she said that because that's the easy way out, that's isn't it? That's the easy way to introduce sex toys and all sorts of things and, and modernize because that alienates an audience that truly loves opera. Well, exactly. And, and doesn't bring in a new audience. No, because the thing is, Rodney, a lot of, to a lot of young people, that's really not cool. Mm. You know, you have a lot of older people directing and do these productions and they think, oh, that would be cool. This will appeal to young people, but it does not. And so what Magdalene and Albumson and Mayer Productions are trying to do with this is without completely alienating an opera audience who loves opera because it is the most unbelievably beautiful music. 
Um, but how do we encourage new audiences and younger audiences to come and see that? So that, that is the aim. It's happened in theater. It's happened in the classics, in the Shakespeare's. It's happened in the ballet world. Now we need to move into the, the world of, of classical opera and also with the symphony orchestra and the concerts that have happened. It's so mm. rewarding to see that they're selling out. Yeah, incredibly. And to out. a young audience and as well. And to a right? new and a young audience. But now, why did you choose Cinderella? You know, talking about opera, I suppose um, a stupid thing would be to say maybe you have taken one of the famous operas like La Boheme or La Traviata or Carmen or something. But Cendrillon is a new-ish piece, isn't it? It's been specially written for this production. Yeah, we, we got um, uh, Pauline Viado did the original libretto and the music, um, and we had permission to translate it all into English. And then Jose has two arrangers who have rearranged the music. This is Jose Diaz. Jose Diaz. He's our, our MD. Um, him and Marcel worked on the lyrics, and then the three of us looked at the book. Um, we had a very um, rough translation from French. You know, if you Google translate, you get more <laughs> or less. Um, more or less being the opposite. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we put it into a more accessible English and obviously made the lyrics work. So the entire thing is in English. Cinderella, because it's a fabulous story, everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. um, children have, have seen it in various forms and on, on DVDs and things. And um, it's a popular story. Also, I think in the age that we are looking for exposure for more female composers and looking for, you know, where we can bring more participation across all the various criteria. So it, it, it ticked a lot of boxes, and that's why it was chosen. But now tell me about the, the woman, uh, Pauline Verdo. Who is she? Um, she, she was Spanish-born. Mm -hmm. um, she had very famous uh, parents. Her father was an impresario and an opera singer. Her mother was a musician. She was a phenomenal pianist. I mean, she, she um, collaborated and wrote several, several operas. Her family were responsible for staging Don Giovanni for the first time ever in the United States. So she came from well, an illustrious family. Yeah. She rubbed shoulders with people like Saisons, and, and they were all her friends and it's her contemporaries. But she's not very well known in terms of, of what she achieved. And then when her father died, her mother forced her to focus more on her opera career than on her piano career, which she really loved. So we have that fantastic combination of being a, a wonderful librettist, but also an ability to write the most incredible music. I want to talk in a little more detail about the music she's written for Cinderella. But first of all, your choice, Fred, your first choice is Madame Butterfly, One Fine Day with the great Maria Callas. Yes, one of my favorite, all-time favorite operas.
Music by Puccini there, the famous aria from Madame Butterfly, Un Bel Di, One Fine Day, sung by the great Maria Cullis. Are you a fan of Maria Cullis's, Fred? She's a voice that I heard when I was knee high. And yeah, she just that all the famous arias that she sang. And she's, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's one of my favorites, you know, up there with Joan Southern. I'm not a great opera aficionado, but the... You have your favorites. A, a, a fabulous voice and a great tune, to put it bluntly, <laughs> <laughs> grabs my attention. Are there great tunes in Cinderella? Incidentally, I'm talking to Fred Abramser about their production of Cinderella, which opens this week at Artscape on the 4th to the 8th of July. Um, are there fabulous tunes and arias 
in this opera? The music is is quite astounding. It's so accessible and so easy. And and for a woman who, I mean, she died when she was 88 in about 1910, the ability to do what Sir Lloyd or Lord Lloyd Webber and them have done to weave a motif into various songs so that literally at interval you go out humming the tune and for modern day composers you then go up to the merchandise stand and buy the CD, <laughs> which is the trick in modern course, musicals. So she had that ability to, to weave and, and you're going, but hang on, that's the same motif that you hear in the Prince's Eye. So the, the, the way she's woven these bits of music that you literally at interval go out and will be humming some of those tunes because they are absolutely exquisite. Um, so, Fred, the music is accessible. We, we're talking about music that's completely accessible. Absolutely, but without being sort of modern and atonal and yeah. alienating. It, it, it is it's because humble. It's you whistleable. said she died in 1910. Yes. So no wonder she was hobnobbing with the likes of Sam Yes, Sons. I mean, she took piano lessons with Franz Liszt. And things My like goodness me. She, she's an exquisite, exquisite composer. Uh-huh. So uh, how is the piece structured then? Is it, does it have dialogue, for example? That is the big thing. There, there are huge tracts of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so we're working with opera singers who want to run a mile when they have to speak more <laughs> speak. than five lines. But they're doing fantastically. I have a, a, an assistant director in Matthew Baldwin um, and he's helping coaching with the dialogue and the acting. But um, Opera singers are incredibly disciplined. They they are like athletes. They train, they work, and so they have developed an unbelievable ear because you're in rehearsals, your maestro hits that note on the piano. They, there's no perfect pitch in acting, mm-hmm. but in music there is. A yes, pirouette in dance is a pirouette and nothing more or less. Um, to be or not to be in Hamlet <laughs> can be any which way you want to do it. Um, so they are incredibly disciplined in terms of the sound and inflections and language. So it's been quite an easy journey to take them into dialogue and to try and make it as naturalistic and flow as possible. So that's been a great thing. So there is dialogue in between. You know, it, it veers sometimes into musical theater because there is dialogue and then singing and dialogue and it's broken up and interspersed. And then there are definite arias that are sung by the soloists. Mm-hmm. Mention, if you will, Fred, some of the people you're using from Cape Town Opera, some of the no, soloists. We have, we, I mean, obviously we have Brittany Smith as Cinderella. She was the Fleur de Cap award-winning opera singer. Alida Skippers um, as the fairy godmother. We've got Tyler Lamini as Prince Charming and Luvo, the fabulous bass baritone playing the father and the baron. Uh, Van Veek Fenter as the Lord Chamberlain, and then our delicious, wicked stepsister, so Janelle Fasahi, who is a guest artist, and Asafi Supetu, and they are the comedy duo. Um, you know, I think we've also got to move away from talking about ugly sisters. They are <laughs> ugly of heart, they are vain, and they are outrageous. Um, the one just eats macaroons on stage the whole time while Janelle Fasahi's character just swishes bottles of champagne away. So <laughs> they are kind of, yeah, they are, there's a beautiful arc in the opera that she's put in that the sisters come to a point where they see that there is hope. And mm-hmm. it's, Cinderella is such a wonderful, you asked me earlier why, because it is a story that where if one perseveres, if one 
treads the path and goes the way, ultimately good, good moral values, those things will triumph. And especially in, in this day when the whole planet has gone down a rabbit hole. Oh, um, let's not go it, there. It, especially for younger audiences. There are no superheroes in terms of supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. So when you look at African, Asian, European traditions of myths and fairy tales, St. George slays the dragon. The Wicked Witch is pushed into the oven. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and Hansel and Gretel sacrifice. People sacrifice. And that's the way you get ahead. Yes. Um, yes. And so there, there's a wonderful moral in the story. Cinderella doesn't become a woke superhero woman and seek revenge and Good. go off and kill Just her sisters well. <laughs> aided by supernatural powers. You know, yeah. she through her belief that and she will goodness. find love. And her goodness. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's an important thing for all of us no matter how young or old we are in these tough times, is we need those stories of hope. We need to know that because we haven't fallen prey to corruption or taking the easy path or, or any of those things that are mm-hmm. out there so tempting us today and just tread the good path and ultimately good will prevail. Exactly. Know? And it, it's irrespective of your ethnicity, your religion, your gender, whatever. Of course, it goes across everything, goes across, doesn't it? And I think that's, yeah. that's such a lovely message in the story of Cinderella. Gosh, you've made me want to hear it again or see it again. <laughs> but we're going to take another music break, uh, Fred, and this time from by Sanson, so we were talking about him just mm-hmm. now, from the Carnival of the Animals, The Swan, that beautiful cello piece. Mm. Is there a special reason why you've chosen this? Uh, I, the cello as a solo instrument is... Absolutely phenomenal. I've loved it. Um, the Bach cello suites. But <laughs> there's a quaint story which you might want to cut out. As a student, I lived in a very little rickety area in the top end of gardens where we had all these little double-story Victorians. Um, and I had an upstairs. And every day in the morning, I would suddenly hear this beautiful cello music. And I looked over the balcony. And on the second floor across the way was a young lady who obviously was totally unaware that I could see her from my balcony, and she was in a sarong with her flowing hair and totally topless playing the cello. (laughs) And this beautiful Bach music. And it just further cemented in my brain just the the beauty of it as as an instrument.
that lovely excerpt from the Carnival of the Animals by Saint-Saëns depicting the swan with members of the Boston Pops Orchestra and Arthur Fiedler. And another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Fred Abramser, whose production, along with Cape Town Opera and Marcel Mayer of Cinderella, opens on the 4th of July here at Artscape and runs to the 8th. So uh, a relatively short run, so you must get yourself tickets because it all sounds rather grand. What about the staging itself? We've spoken a lot about the music and the themes and all the rest of it. Um, but what about the actual staging? Is that also going to be glittering and attractive? As a director, the f- you know, the first thing when somebody says to you, uh, or you get asked to direct Macbeth, you go, how do I do the witches? You know, there's, there's those famous things, Cinderella, yeah. mice, rats, lizards, fairies. How do we do that? <laughs> Pumpkin turning into a coach. So what we have done is we have worked with the Waterfront Theatre School and oh, we yes. have brought some of their top ballerinas on board as the fairies and the ball guests, the coachmen, and then we've worked with some junior dancers from their part-time. So we have little mice, we have a little rat, we have <laughs> lizards, and they get transformed, and a giant pumpkin, and that all gets transformed into adult uh, dancers playing the horses, the coachmen, and the footmen. So that's quite a magical transformation. Marcel has... In a lot of productions of Cinderella, she leaves, or you have a double who runs off stage and comes back immediately in the costume. Marcel insisted that the transformation should happen on stage. So oh, as wow. in Frozen, she transforms, the dress transforms from rags to riches into this beautiful white and silver ball gown before your very eyes. Wow. So and the carriage, the pumpkin turning the into carriage? carriage? Um, we work a lot there. with the revolve. So that we revolve things on and off. And I think the, the, the idea behind that, in, when one thinks of your childhood memories of those little music boxes that open, mm. you go through some of the cities in Europe and suddenly you hear barrel organ music and you look up and you see these toy figures. So the use of the revolve in bringing people on and off and transforming things. And then the entire production is performed in front of a seven-meter by six-meter mirror. Because mirror. nothing in life is what it seems to be. Is the father the baron really the oh, baron? Oh, that's interesting. Is the handsome young man playing the prince really the prince? Because the prince can't find true love because he's a prince. So he disguises himself as the chamberlain. And, that's of course, Cinderella falls in love the with story. the Chamberlain and not the prince. So there's also that double thing. So the use of this giant mirror, which is Marcel Mayer, the designer's brainwave, um, we're terrified because that's about a billion years of bad luck. Yes, break. if you break <laughs> that big. But does the mirror s- uh, face the audience? It faces the audience. It slants. So you see everything reflected in the mirror. You see the back of the actors. Sometimes they turn upstage and sing into the mirror. They're questioning themselves, their choices and things. So it's it's kind of used as a metaphor for this this mirror, this giant mirror, which we are very much looking forward to seeing how it, it, it all comes together. But it is made from an aluminium composite, so it's not Glass, it's not glass, but okay. it looks and it reacts like glass. Okay. So it's the staging. And then we have worked with a new product, again, which is a scientifically formulated glitter, which when mixed with paint, as the paint dries, it rises to the top. 
So when you go to a, a, a shop and buy glitter and mix it with paint, it doesn't necessarily always work, but this is a new product. So the entire stage is a black, glittery, sparkly surface. Good gracious. <laughs> and with a mirror to emphasize yeah. it all. And so... Yeah, the costuming is spectacular. Um, Phyllis Midlane has made the headdresses, and she is the the lady who manufactured most of the war horses for the oh, famous productions, the yes. goose, all of those. She she um, is is a fantastic um, mask maker, and she's made the mice and the rat and the lizards and all the horses, the giant pumpkin. So I've got a fantastic team of people working. It sounds like it, Fred. Um, Kirsten Eisenberg, um, ex-Cape Town City Ballet, she's doing all the choreography. We've got a great bunch of um, um, young dancers. The kids are fantastic. So it's got spectacle. It's got beautiful music. It's everything. I mean, it's a great. And the great thing is it's not three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, with interval. It's an hour and a half of really good entertainment. So it's very much a sort of ooh-ah thing as well, yes. to see and this then, glitter, and, and, to see the mirror, to see yeah, the... If you're an opera lover, you'll absolutely sit back and, and enjoy the music and the spectacle. And for newbies, and especially for younger audiences, will love the visual spectacle and the age-old fairy tale of Cinderella. Mm, and tell me one more thing. How big is the cast? The cast in total, with dancers and mice and rabbits and rats and all the about 30 people on that oh, stage. wow. So, so it's, it's quite a big quite, production. Quite a big, big cast. Five principal singing parts, and the rest are ensemble and, and um, dancers. So are there choruses as well? Or are no. So the ensemble, the dancers? The ensemble are dancers. They have the odd line and things like that. But it's mm -hmm. basically your principles and then an ensemble of dance and movement. That sounds, as you say, it's <laughs> for all ages. Also, when you were talking about metaphors and things, clearly it can be enjoyed. A child, a very young child would be, taken aback by the spectacle and Absolutely, the magical. Yeah. But an old person or an adult would realize what you were trying to do with the mirror th and yeah. the metaphors and things. I think that's, that's the key behind the staging. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So let's have another piece of music. Sweeney Todd. Yes. What have we got here? Well, he's one of my all-time favorites. And that this particular Joanna from Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite all-time songs. I think it's just the most exquisite piece of music. And watch this space. <laughs> oh, there's a little <laughs> Okay. For the end of the year, yes. Okay. I feel you Joanna I feel They think that walls can hide you Even now I'm at your window I am in the dark beside you Buried sweetly in your yellow hair Joanna Yellow hair like her. I'd want you beautiful and pale the way I've dreamed you were, Joanna. Joanna. 
beautiful What then with yellow hair like wheat I think we shall not meet again My little dove, my sweet Joanna Joanna, you're gone and yet you're mine. I'm fine, Joanna. Joanna. Smoke, smoke, sign of the devil, sign of the devil, say on fire. As every day goes by, Joanna. And you'd be beautiful and pale and look too much like her. If only angels could prevail, we'd be the way we were, Joanna. Joanna, another bright red day, we learn, Joanna, to say goodbye. I'll steal you.
wonderful music there from Sweeney Todd, Stephen Sondheim's extraordinary musical, Joanna. And that was taken from the film soundtrack of that. And it was another choice of my guest on People of Note this week here on Fine Music Radio, Fred Albrum, sir, who was hinting just before they played that. So maybe who knows what might happen later this year. (laughs) Barbershops and so on. All right. Now, I just want to move away from... Cinderella for the moment, because it seemed to me that you and Marcel are particularly busy at the moment. And you were, you, you survived uh, COVID, didn't you? Yeah, we got, we got through that. It was an interesting period. It afforded us a lot of time to write. And I think people have seen History Girls, Star-Crossed, Contested Bodies, things like that coming out of that period. It was a, a fantastic period for the entire arts community Interesting to hear you say that because they say it was such a disastrous period. It was a time of reflection and collaboration Mm -hmm. um, because we sat in in, in Zoom meetings talking to people across South Africa. At one time, there were people from um, Europe, people from Asia in the room. It's something that has never, ever happened before and talking about things and, and very quickly cutting out all the BS that goes when one has these meetings publicly because people were going, look, we're addressing professional artists here. We're looking at these specific categories. So it was very cut and dried and a wonderful time while not working and having revenue to reflect on where we need to go and to also look at what our audiences want and, and, and to reevaluate. And we've been very careful coming out of COVID of how we treat our audiences Mm-hmm. And how appreciative. And if you think um, with Peter Pan last year when we opened, we opened on the day we could go to full capacity. 22,300 people came to see that production. And a lot of them brought little children along who they call covert babies who were two years old, were in lockdown for two and a half years and were now four and a half, five years old and had never, ever been into a big space to see a show or let alone be surrounded by 500 other people. Mm -hmm. So it was a monumental experience. You seem to have, you and Marcel seem to have a special interest in the youth. Uh, You've spoken very passionately about getting the youth into opera, but you do these shows, the children's theater shows every Mm -hmm. year. And now there's Cinderella. You recently did Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Not that that's a children's thing, but anyway. So you seem to have a... A passion for the youth. You know, it is our responsibility, and I know I'll be very unpopular in saying this, it is my responsibility as an older arts practitioner to drag the arts kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And to do that, we need young people. People will have noticed that Marcel has taken over as a director and directed My Children, My Africa, absolutely sold out before we even opened. Marcel has directed Alice in Wonderland. Matthew Baldwin, who's been with our company for 10, 11 years, is my assistant director. Um, We have to start working with these younger artists, not only just in terms of casting them, but in terms of training. Fahim Bardin is one of the most superb lighting designers in the country. He's doing your lighting, isn't he? He does everything that we do. But again, there's a young, bright-eyed kid called Carl from Waterfront Theatre School who learned to program the board for Oklahoma. He's sitting in on all the programming sessions. We have to start looking at what we're going to leave behind for these younger people. And as you know, we're all getting on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm moving into a, a, a thing which is on in the programs appears as sort of producing director. I mean, I am directing um, Cinderella, 
but um, getting younger people and getting not only, you know, what, what's the point in doing all these programs like with Artscape and the outreach and bringing all the kids here when they arrive? What on earth are they going to see? Mm. What is the quality of the work? And that's where our company firmly roots itself in classical theater, whether it be Tennessee Williams, whether it be Grimm's fairy tales, whether it be opera, ballet, whatever. It's definitely to introduce young people to those. If, I mean, if they've survived for 400 years, there's a there's reason. reason. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not saying we won't uh, tackle contemporary pieces. We certainly have. Mm-hmm. Contested Bodies, which is coming up at the Baxter, is a very, very confrontational, in-your-face thing. Now, you've written that, haven't uh, you? Marcel and I wrote that. It's been okay. published, which is fantastic. Oh, good. And, yeah, and, and working with Susan Pam Grant, a wonderful playwright on a new play that she's doing called Why Do Moths Fly Like Crazy If You <laughs> Dot 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 in the Middle of the Night. And again, <laughs> it, the little season we're presenting at the Baxter with Moth and with Contest Bodies is looking at new work. Fantastic venue of the Masambi Theatre at the Baxter where one saw Visigoths, one seeing all these wonderful young writers, Daniel Foot Newton. Uh, Loris and um, Louis Fulhune, all of these young writers being able, being given a space. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, when I was young, I was given that opportunity at the Space Theatre, being able to stage manage for Ethel Fugard, directing Yvonne Bryceland, being able wow. to see Winston and John Carney on stage. What memories those must be. Being given opportunity to run lights and work backstage and develop and troupe theatre with Fiona mm. Ramsey, Richard Grant, Sean Taylor. We were given a home at the space. And then when the demise of the space, the wonderful John Slemon, the mad Irishman from the Baxter, <laughs> said, I'll give you a home. And we were given those spaces to work. So we, we have to create those spaces again for young people and also fred all along while you've been talking about this and the spaces and the things young people do is the audience you constantly have to keep the audience in mind don't you what they want how you're going to attract a young audience with good product and then keep them there which must be a challenge really for for directors and producers it is it's a it's a it's a great challenge (laughs) (laughs) he said nervously Um, Fred, we're going to take another piece of music. Achnaten, Philip Glass. Yes. Now, how did this make an appearance? It is one of the most sensational operas. To see it, to actually witness it is, is absolutely exquisite. And the music, I mean, it's difficult. It's atonal. It doesn't seem to change. But, you know, I, I live next to the sea. And I can hear the sea, and you know, and people will come and visit, and they go, "Oh, that's it." And you go, "What? Oh, the sea." <laughs> you know <laughs> yes, what I mean? Yes. But if one listens to the sea, if one listens to nature, there are those subtle changes and things. And I think that's as one gets older, one becomes aware of what's around you. One becomes the subtleties of the way a tone changes when somebody speaks. And being a director, that's also what you look at. Mm, I walk away from a conversation and I'll say to you, wasn't that interesting the way that, and they go, what? And I said, no, every time he like stressed that thing, yeah, know, I, yeah. I find myself sometimes walking behind people like those mimes and looking at their walk and going, why? So that observation, and for me, Philip Glass, that ability to, those absolutely infinitesimal, subtle changes. So this is the prelude we're going to yes. get to this opera, Aknadna 
Akhenaten. Akhenaten, the Egyptian king, yes. Philip Glass.
that's part of the prelude to the opera Akhenaten by Philip Glass. And it was another choice of my guest here on People of Note, whose name is Fred Abramser. And he, along with Marcel Mayer and Captain Opera, are producing Cinderella. Just before we go back to Cinderella, which opens this week, I just want to ask you, you've... I said that you've been very busy since mm. COVID. You explained how in COVID you did lots of thinking and writing and planning. And so I can imagine we can expect lots more things that you and Marcel will get up to. And I was just wondering, I can't help asking you this. What about those Tennessee Williams plays that you did in the hotel? How incredibly effective uh, those were. We we have looked at those again and they will come back. I think the leisure industry is, is, is making its way back, as is the entertainment industry. We have Cinderella. We have Contested Bodies and Moths coming up at the Baxter. We've got Alice in Wonderland running it at present. And then we are doing three Tennessee Williams short stories. We've been given permission to adapt them. And as, as one night in the theatre? Uh, one is called Killer Queens, and the other one will stand alone. Okay. Um, and that is going to the Tennessee Williams Festival in the United States. Um, so we will possibly bring those back, mm-hmm. and they might um, pop up at the hotel next year again. And then we've been very privileged to be invited to Philadelphia to direct and design Lorraine Hansbury's Le Blanc the Whites, which is a response from an African-American female playwright to Genet's The Blacks, a fantastic piece that um, deals with colonialism in Africa and Contested Bodies might be a small companion piece to that. We got a very um, generous grant in dollars, which translates into to Rand's quite nicely, yes, it would. to <laughs> co-produce with an American company there, working with African-American actors and taking some South African actors. So it's an, a, a transatlantic production. Do you think and we might see it here? We've applied again for another grant, which is looking very favorable to then bring it across to South Africa and some of the smaller parts fill up with local actors, but in basically keeping the principal African-American and South African actors in the core of the production. That must be very exciting to go to Philadelphia and also to get involved in a project like that. Yeah, and again, Lorraine Hansberry is just, um, she's passed, but a a phenomenal uh, playwright. And and it's it's a beautiful production that deals so wonderfully with the issues of colonialism in Africa. And Mm. again, not necessarily finger-pointing. You know what uh, I mean? Not okay. That's a, important. That's it's, important. It's great. It's a great piece. It's, I'm looking forward to that. So and it needs to be seen here with a so with subject like that. We're very busy here. <laughs> you are then. very busy, <laughs> Fred. And now with Cinderella. Yes. Um, do you enjoy, just one last quick thought, do you enjoy working with music in theatre? I know your children's theatre is all about that, but I regard you and uh, Marcel Mayer as being you know, much more intense, mm. like the um, Tennessee Williams plays. Mm. I, you know, I suppose a thing in, in f- for me personally is I enjoy great artistry. And when you see a phenomenal piano player, when you hear a spectacular voice, when you, when you see an absolutely sublime athlete 
vaulting meters, you know, when you Mm. see somebody Mm. cleaving the water. That artistry, that skill, skill, I suppose, is the word that really, really um, appeals to me. And and to sit in a room with voices like that, with a a maestro like um, Jose Dias, I mean, what he gets out of that grand piano in rehearsals is just (laughs) phenomenal. And now with the small chamber orchestra, it's absolute. I mean, the harp, the violins, the cello, it's, it's clarinet, it's, it's beautifully arranged. Yeah, it is sublime theatre, um, but somebody else also said opera is absurd theatre set to music. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look at both sides. Yes, you look at it, but it is, it is I think, being able to, to um, work with such skilled professionals mm-hmm. is, is quite astounding. Fred has been wonderful talking to you. Now, just before you choose your last piece of music, Cinderella is on, will be on here at the Artscape Theatre from the 4th to the 8th of July. So a short run. And as you've heard, it sounds like there's going to be magic in the true mm. sense of the word. It is at 7 in the evening. So, 7. But then on the Thursday and the Saturday, there are also matinees. Okay. Okay. Mm. So bear that in mind as well. And your last piece is the prelude to the Cello Suite Number no. 1 by yes. Bach played by Pierre Fournier. Now, I must congratulate you for choosing Pierre Fournier. I think he's the most marvelous cellist. Yes, no, I mean, he's, he's the master, you know. It's, again, just his skill and ability. And, again, the music is just sublime. I was talking to Fred Abram, so thank you, Fred, very much. Thank you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.